The Holy Gospel according to John, the third chapter. Lord. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses. And you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but may have eternal life, Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Do I have the right words to offer. I've been asking myself that a lot lately. Do I have the right words to offer? It's a good question for me to ask myself as a pastor and as a preacher and as a parent. What got me to thinking on this is Henry and Diana's Those are my toddler twins, for those of you who don't know, 18 months old right now. Their 100 first words book got me thinking about this. 
I was afraid to bring it with me this morning for fear of misplacing it because it is a favorite. So it has remained at home. I know I've brought some of their toys before, but I couldn't risk this one. So you'll have to suffer through my description of it instead. It's a large board book about this big when it's open. And it has on each page a set of images with a word underneath it, its given name. A car above the word car, a fork above the word fork, an apple above the word apple. You get the idea, right? But what joy it is for me, what joy. When Diana taps her little finger, because Henry doesn't quite do it yet, but when Diana taps her little finger on a picture and says, dog or spoon, or whatever it might be. But sometimes the book's editor makes odd choices. For instance, there is a stuffed bunny, and underneath it reads, stuffed animal. As a teacher, do I go with bunny, or do I go with stuffed animal? On another page, all on the same page, it has an owl and a parrot, a grown dog and a puppy, a grown cat and a kitten. Teaching Diana and Henry the nuance of owl, parrot, puppy, and kitten isn't in the cards yet. So each set of photos are bird, dog, cat, respectively. Sometimes upon looking on the kitten picture, Diana offers a sweet meow. She can't manage cat yet, but she knows what the cat says. But I wonder when she and Henry grow up and read the words parrot, owl, puppy, kitten, will they realize that I lied to them about this book? I know what you're thinking. I'm overthinking it. But truly, it's sort of a fascinating question. It made me wonder when their little minds would be ready for the nuances of types of birds and older and younger. And then I went into philosophizing about how after that, after we got parrot, owl, kitten, and puppy figured out, that I wouldn't have much more of anything to tell them anymore. This is the fear of every parent, I think, right? After all my journey and throughout life, and even as an older mother, I haven't much to say. And maybe that's a good starting point, I don't know. Because, you know, I can teach Henry and Diana how to tell a ball from a dog, and we will eventually get to the difference between a stuffed bunny and a real bunny, although reading The Velveteen Rabbit will confuse that even further. However, these small but significant editing choices from the book entitled 100 First Words have me wondering, can I give Henry and Diana the right words and define them correctly for the rest of their lives? Can I teach them the meanings of the most profound words, grace, beauty, truth, justice, goodness, love? Can I teach them to be people who live of the water and the spirit? Can I teach them not just to accept the status quo like so many others do, going along with what everyone around them believes, but instead to be like Nicodemus, and to come with all their questions. What makes a bunny a bunny? What makes something real? How do we know who or what to believe and to trust? To be born means to be utterly dependent. Diana and Henry are dependent upon their father, Jamie and I, for so many things, sustenance, 
shelter, care when they are sick. But they are also completely dependent on, on us, especially in these early years, to learn language and meaning and truth. We make such a big deal of being born again as Lutherans, right? Feeling as if it sounds too evangelical for we good Lutherans to even utter off of our tongues. And yet here it is showing up in the third chapter of John's Gospel, falling off the lips of our sweet Jesus as he says, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. When Nicodemus asks, how can that happen? How can someone be born a second time? Very logical question. Jesus responds, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Do not be astonished that I've said you have to be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Well, that really clears things up for us, doesn't it? (laughs) But the idea of being born again, it makes us uncomfortable. Some of us gathered here this morning are even afraid to darken the doorstep of Pastor H's adult education class, which is starting this morning on evangelism. He's going to be helping us reclaim the word evangelical from Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. And I'm sure that that make some of you a little nervous, uncomfortable as Lutherans, wondering to ourselves whether he will have the rude manners to ask us to share our faith with someone, let alone to declare to ourselves or to others that we must be born again. But what if, what if being born again was simply admitting our dependency? recognizing that infancy that dwells within us throughout our entire lives, no matter how old we get. The reminder that we are created and sustained and taught by the most wonderful creator as all creatures are. We are born from something. Our mothers and our fathers, yes, but also water and spirit and the very breath of God breathed into us. That is the promise of creation. We are made by this amazing God. And thanks to the goodness of our gracious God, we can be reborn and remade in any moment. Jesus mentions water and wind and spirit to Nicodemus all in that same convoluted sentence structure for a reason. Because these are wild and mysterious things, things we cannot always control, things which take on their own life, water, wind, spirit, things which have a power all their own. And if we yield to them, we become utterly dependent once again. There are signs pointing us to rebirth. And something opens in us then, the ability to listen, to see our own faults, to know where compassion is needed, to pick ourselves up again in pursuit of these words, grace and beauty and truth and justice and goodness and love. To be born again is to risk everything, to let go of the ways that we have defined things and to learn once again how God defines things. It is to stare death 
and sin and evil in the face, recognizing for once our futility before them and trust that because Jesus lives in defiance of all of those forces, so will we. But it's hard to believe it. It's hard to actualize it. It's hard to stick with this entirely new and different way of seeing things and of defining the world. And it's so easy to fall back into the world's regular and ubiquitous ways of defining things. And that's why we must, dear friends, be willing to be born again each and every day if necessary. And that's what our dear Luther taught, right? We must die daily and rise daily to the lies that we have been told and passed down to others so that we might live into the freedom of our full humanity within the glory of God's grace. If we seek to stay alive rather than to be born again, if we cling to the old definitions rather than creating new meanings, if we try to stay safe rather than risk ourselves for something greater, we might live on but it will be a meaningless charade defined only by our selfish desires and dominated by the smallest of fears. If we let the spirit and the water and the wind catch hold of us, if we cede control to those unruly, godlike characters, something in us shifts. Something in us feels more alive than it ever has before. Something in us knows a little bit more of what those words, grace, beauty, truth, goodness, justice, and love, hold within them. If we are willing to die to ourselves that we might be reborn for the sake of others, we live into a whole new world, God's kingdom, a place that evades our definitions and rejects our preconceived notions. We feel a little bit like toddlers splashing in the shallows of a mighty ocean, a bit buffeted by the wind, a bit buffeted by the water, but we are held tightly in God's spirit nonetheless. Amen.